Welcome to the show. This is Mayor's Monday on WHMP, and this Monday we have the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being with us. So much to ask you about. I'd love to start with an issue that is uh, prominent in many cities uh, throughout the valley, and that is preservation of older buildings. Uh, uh, a big issue here in Northampton with regard to a church that has been uh, subject to the possibility of being demolished. There is a preservation ordinance that has been uh, considered by the Holyoke City Council. Uh, you weighed in on it, and uh, there eventually was, as I understand it, a compromise that was made. Uh, Holyoke has a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, set of older buildings. It's one of the real uh, assets of the city, particularly as it looks towards this uh, renovation in the 21st century. And I'd appreciate it if you explain to our listeners how that preservation ordinance is, has, how it's come out, and what your position has been with regard to it. So the city of Holyoke has currently what we call a six-month demo delay ordinance. And what that allows is for any uh, private developer or uh, property owner that is looking to, um, uh, I don't know, invest in their property, uh, potentially demolish uh, the historical commission who has control over that, that demo delay, can institute a, a demo delay so it allows the city some time to find or work with the property owners to find alternative methods, solutions uh, to potentially preserve if not all, as much of it as possible. Uh, the Historic Commission has been working for a little bit now and trying to extend that demo delay from six months to 12 months uh, instead. And uh, in that process, there was a little bit of a compromise um, uh, instead of 12 months, then maybe nine months. But at the last city council meeting, when they took the vote to adopt the ordinance, it didn't pass. Um, and so what they did was instead was uh, did a motion to reconsider, tabled it, and we'll see what happens from there. My position specifically, you know, in government, when we make decisions like this, we always got to face unintentional consequences. I, I do have some concern about uh, possibly putting unintentional consequence burden on developers and property owners that are looking to uh, invest in, in space, in their spaces. We do have, we have a, we are pretty progressive uh, community around working with developers in, in, in um, uh, preserving property. Uh, at the same time, you know, we have to take a, a realistic uh, view and approach when we're um, trying to navigate these issues um, and, and looking forward to uh, economic growth. So it's one of those things where it's like, you know, historical preservation is an important economic development tool because uh, there is a lot of value in that. At the same time, I, you know, do we want to be the, the municipality that, that, you know, time is money for a lot of developers when they're looking to, um, so it's, it's trying to strike that balance, find that balance so that, you know, um, uh, everyone's winning here. So I stood firmly against, but at the same time, what I told members of the council and the historical commission, that that's just personal Josh Garcia. I don't expect everyone to follow suit if the council supported it, supported the changes, I'd be more than happy to uh, follow through with the changes. And the change would be to have the demo delay, the demolition delay go from six months to nine months? Right. Okay. 
and it's still in front of the city council. There hasn't been a final decision. Is that right? Yeah. So at the last uh, full council meeting, which was I think just last week, uh, they they had taken it up, and I believe it, it needed two thirds vote and didn't pass. So they had a motion to reconsider, and they brought it. They put it back into committee to continue to have the discussion. So it ends up back in front of the council. This issue continues to percolate in Holyoke. Is that right? Yep. That's right. Okay. I'd, I'd like to turn to another matter that has been much in the news recently, and that is the shootings in Holyoke. But I'd like to put that on the back burner for just a second and ask you about one of the responses, I think, to, to, to those shootings, and that is the uh, proposal for spot spotter technology. Can you tell us what it is, why it is, and where that proposal stands and what your position is? Yeah, ShotSpotter has been a piece of technology that's been, from what I'm, from what I'm gathering, uh, in consideration for many years. It's just it comes down to um, funding, um, so it, it's never really elevated to that uh, in in the discussions. But um, uh, when I stepped in, I was told um, or briefed on the technology, uh, uh, and uh, a piece of technology that's supposed to help curve. Um, and, and better respond uh, to shots being fired in our city. Uh, there's some, uh, I think it was uh, the United States Attorney General, I believe, there's some grant funding that came uh, from that department uh, to the city of Holyoke uh, to fund um, to fund a year of it. I think it's like one square mile. Uh, also, we're looking forward, I am looking forward um, to dedicate uh, ARPA funding to um, so that we can have this technology for about a uh, maybe two or or three years um, uh, to see and consider how effective it is before we even consider using any appropriation to sustain uh, the program. Uh, you know, when it comes to technology like this, no one, none of us, never want to be in a position to ever have to spend resources or or have to, you know, the reality is, is uh, gun violence is a, is a serious situation. And, uh, um, you know, I'm open to any and all methods available to help curb this uh, and, and uh, prevent and save lives. Um, the, the, um, the response with ShotSpotter is better than, would be better than what we have currently where we have to uh, depend on people making the call when there's sh shots fired and that's if they they make a call and uh, this this technology is going to help the police department um, uh, pinpoint exactly almost exactly where the shots taking place whether somebody calls or not and I think the greatest uh, benefit of this for me is that you know if there was shots fired and someone someone's injured and call a call wasn't made, right? Um, uh, you know, we'll know that the fires that, that the shots were taken and police will be able to respond and it can potentially save a life and get somebody uh, medical attention quicker than if no calls were made and maybe they were in an alleyway three hours and 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 passed away and, and could have been better responded to. So there's some pros uh, to it. There are some arguments against it, and and um, my ears are wide open. 
Uh, there's been some dialogue going on in, in the community and I have some meetings coming up so that we can have a, all have a better understanding of the pros, the cons, and how we can better work together as a community to uh, be sure we're appropriately responding to these issues. I think the bottom line where we all agree is that, you know, this uh, um, gun violence is a serious problem and, and downtown deserves just as much safety as uh, our affluent neighborhoods um, and the folks in Northampton and Amherst. Um, and so uh, as mayor, I have to take into consideration everybody's safety uh, and I'm willing to use whatever tools are available to me to be sure that they get it uh, popular or not popular. Um, but again, as a community, we need to continue to have these discussions and evolve because uh, obviously technology gets better, uh, new practices, uh, uh, best practices become available and um, get close as we can to our target for community safety. So, Mr. Mayor, uh, SpotShotter is a technology that in theory and sometimes in practice locates and a place where uh, shots have been fired, hence its name's a, a Shot Spotter. But the uh, experience with spot shotter, although some some municipalities use it, is it's a couple of major cities have suspended and and revoked the use of it because spot shotter uh, has led to no arrests and nothing involving guns in about ninety percent of the uh, calls that are sent out. And spot shotter obviously requires a response. And it uses a lot of resources, police resources, to respond. Where the experience in uh, has been uh, in in significant uh, municipalities is that that's a, a waste of resources um, or a use of resources that is not productive. Uh, and I'm wondering if that's part of the consideration for the city of Holyoke. So, from what I'm hearing, is in larger cities, shots water has caused more resources to respond to shots being fired than what I don't understand. Oh, well, th that in fact, it's they're, they're, they're either false reports or they don't lead. They don't lead anywhere. So the technology, from what I gather, um, is getting better and better to the point where um, it's like uh, uh, it, it's it's uh, oh, my God, what am I? What's the. It's evolving to a point where it's starting to to, to pick up on. You, you have mentioned false shots um, and kind of weave that out. What is it like AI technology and whatnot? But um, I, 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 you know, I think that there's uh, there might be communities that have experienced that, but there's also arguments and and communities that have, um, from what I understand, has experienced and had great outcome with it. And you know, I think. There isn't any a one-size-fits-all solution. I think some communities, with anything that you do, will have great experience. Others, not so much. Um, uh, and I think, you know, with the grant resources that we're having available to us before we can even consider paying any local ta taxpayer resources for sustaining it, we have a window of opportunity to try it out. And, uh, you know, I think that that's my responsibility as mayor is that when opportunities come up like this, um, uh, we try it, and if it works, fantastic. If it doesn't, uh, we pivot. And I can remember a similar conversation with tasers. When tasers got introduced in the city of Holyoke, uh, the, the public debate about it um, 
but then again, here we are today. Police department continues to uh, use tasers and it's proven effective. So again, it's in a matter of public debate uh, and where people stand on the spectrum um, and being a mayor of the city where it's very different in every corner and perspective. Uh, you know, I, I try to do my best to understand the whole picture at the same time, um, uh, take into consideration massive consideration on what the number one um, thing we're trying to do here, and that's to maintain public safety. And I think in a previous interview, Bill, when I first um, got elected, I came on to your show and I explained to you the story of when I was knocking on doors downtown Holyoke, um, that was the primary um, strategy uh, in the primaries was to focus solely on downtown doors. And that's where our predominantly Hispanic neighborhood is, and that's where um, our vulnerable populations are. And when I knocked on those doors, I didn't hear not one time folks were concerned about, um, um, you know, uh, uh, public safety um, uh, against concern toward the police department. What they wanted was safety. What they wanted was um, uh, police presence. They wanted whatever it is that we can do to make sure that um, uh, that they feel safe uh, when um, they're living and playing in the neighborhood. And so then that's what we're trying to do here. We're, we're considering um, all options available. Um, I'm sure that, you know, I've, I've heard about some communities pulling away because they felt it wasn't effective. You hear about others who love it. Um, and so what I want to see is let's try it out. Um, and again, if it's not working for Holyoke and it's not effective and it is a waste of resources, um, great. But if we have it and we save lives, um, you know, I would hate that an incident happened and 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 um, you know we could have avoided it if, if we did have the technology beyond that if that if situation the what if situation so resources are there specifically for that doesn't cost the city anything why not we are speaking with the mayor of Holyoke Joshua Garcia this is Mayor's Monday on WHMP we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to continue this conversation about public safety and then we're going to get to the question of schools as the school year is about to begin and then I want a final section with the mayor good news from Holyoke we'll be right back this is Bill Newman WHMP when it's happening here in the valley we're talking about it hearing the verdict and hearing the words racial animus were extremely painful for certainly for myself and for the women and men of the Greenfield Police Department who really do go to work every day to serve the people of Greenfield. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. A lot of mattress stores, all they talk about is price. Sale, 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 save, 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 blah, blah, blah. I get it. No one wants to pay a dollar more than you have to. But what do you really know about mattresses? Are you an expert? I'm not. And I have a furniture store. So I at least know a little. Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. We mostly sell therapeutic mattresses at Talon Furniture. Not Tempur-Pedic, not trying to mislead you. Therapeutic. The best mattress value I've ever found. And believe me, I've looked around. Therapeutic mattresses are made in Brockton. I've walked the floor and it was reassuring because there's no toxicity, no off-gassing. Therapeutic mattresses are clean and made by fellow Red Sox fans. Play the sale, sale, sale game if you want. That's not for me. A therapeutic mattress from Talon Furniture is your best bet and best deal. 
today, tomorrow, or whenever you decide to buy a new mattress. I'm not sure if opposites attract, but most couples differ greatly in their views about household finances. I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor, with Hug Your Money. Money is a very volatile topic, and most seem to either argue about it or rarely discuss it. A sort of division of labor emerges, one partner becoming the steward of household finances, the other less directly involved. This arrangement may work until a stressor is introduced, college expenses, budgeting issues, impending retirement, etc. That's when sparks can fly. Each person's perspective is quite different, and it's likely only a short-term solution if any will arise. The Hug Plan presents an easy-to-follow, long-term solution that helps get both partners on the same page, alleviating stress and inspiring them to manage their finances successfully. I'm Francis Ray, I'm the Money Doctor. We now offer advanced tools and financial coaching using our patented system, all under one umbrella. For more information and to schedule your free consultation, visit our website at hugyourmoney.com. Dinner tonight starts with a tap. Tap the local hero guide on the CISA website and find farm fresh food close to where you are. There are so many farms and farm stands just minutes away. Look for the bright yellow local hero label in stores and restaurants. Local hero food, the beauty and the bounty of our fertile river valley farmlands on your dinner table tonight. The local hero guide is at the CISA website, buylocalfood.org. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. On this Mayor's Monday on WHMP, we continue our conversation with the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. I'd like to spend just another 30 seconds, if I might, Mr. Mayor, on the question of guns in the city of Holyoke. There have been some shootings, I think three uh, recently, and I'm wondering whether this uptick is attributable to anything that you can identify or it's an anomaly. What, what do you make of it? I, you know, Holyoke for a long time has been having these issues and no there hasn't been three shootings there's there's been more than that what we did experience was uh unfortunately three homicides um in a given month for uh different very unfortunate reasons nothing random um and so how do i make of it it it, it breaks my heart um uh, that that um anywhere it doesn't matter where it is that we have to experience that level of gun violence um and so you know we're going to keep doing what we can to 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 de-escalate it and curve it i mean you know holyoke is a place of hope and opportunity for people down and out on their luck but that always that also comes with you know some challenges um uh and so you know i grew up uh in that environment and i understand what the struggle and and the challenges are and you know, I'm going to do my best um, uh, as mayor, as an administration, to to de-escalate and, and prevent it as much as possible. Uh, Mr. Mayor, I'd like to turn to another issue, if I might. The school year is about to start. The Holyoke school system has been in receivership with the state, it seems to me, forever. But that's not true. It's But it has been years. <laughs> I'm wondering where, where that stands and whether there is a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the end of this receivership and return of the Holyoke school systems to local control? Well, so we're still talking about transitioning to local control. Um, I, I've been working, obviously there's a political angle to this. I did recently endorse uh, Mara Healy, who's committed um, uh, to transitioning local control back 
uh, to the city who's committed to coming up with a plan, working with the community um, to give back local control, which is which is wonderful. Um, and also the commit, and I gotta say, like Commissioner Riley and and the folks there at the state, they, you know, and, and our current receiver, school school superintendent, they're amazing. They're a good group of folks. Um, uh, the collaboration has been wonderful, and and trying to restructure in, in, in a way that helps better uh, improve um, services in our school district, uh, management of our school district. Um, and when we talk about transitioning to local control, um, the folks at the state level, their heart is there and they've been really um, committed uh, to exactly to do exactly that. Commissioner and I um, have been playing phone tag a little bit and we're scheduling uh, time to meet so we can continue to have that conversation but uh, you know the energy is going in that direction <clears throat> uh, folks know that the um, I'm gonna call it now the incoming governor I strongly believe Mara Hilly will win be the next governor of Massachusetts um, uh, you know she's made a public committed commitment to it and I believe it in her heart um, that you know um, it's not a political move it's something she strongly believes and so we're gonna keep having that conversation but until then I you know, the school board um, works is continued to collaborate with the receivers. Schools are scheduled to open August 29 for all the parents out there. Um, first graders to the 12th grade, please know that August 29 is the first day of school. Uh, good news for the parents, not so much good news for the kids. So, <laughs> well, well, maybe I, I'd like to, one last question on this before we turn to another topic. Has the receivership been successful in any or some ways? I think that, uh, yeah, it's a great question. I think I tell folks the greatest benefit of receivership has been the level of change they have been able to do at the management level. Um, you know, when the state takes over, whether it's a municipality or a school district, they have greater flexibility to change things up that we just can't do for many reasons on the local level. Um, can be, you know, political, it could be politics, it could be union contracts, it can be, you know, all sorts of things. They have much more flexibility to uh, uh, move things around. And I think that that's what they, they did. They, they professionalized the administration and created an infrastructure that better supports the individual school principals um, and, and the, the individual school administration um, from the top down. And so, that's huge because you know you want that professionalized and making sure that the proper training is being coordinated and facilitated for the teachers and the staff and the principals uh and and so i think you know in, on the local level when springfield experienced receivership the municipality uh they the state was able to you know change their management infrastructure and in around where it's difficult when where and when you have local control, it's, it's difficult to, to do that. Um, so I think that there's been a, a lot of benefit there. They've set the foundation and now it's just in the matter of now, you know, implement, implementing and, and um, uh, achieving the greater student outcomes that we're all um, uh, trying to improve here. Um, so I, that's where the greatest benefit has been. Um, and we're looking forward to uh, not change anything, embrace the changes that they've made and move forward. One last question. It's kind of a yes or no, because I'd love to get onto two other topics briefly. Um, ha have the test scores uh, improved? I mean, that's what the state 
what precipitated the state's takeover, which is that they, they said these test scores aren't, aren't high enough. Have, have there been improvement? Has there been improvement in test scores? I, so I, I, gotta, I don't have the data uh, in front of me to, to have a, a, a confident answer. I think there's been improvements in some areas, other areas not so much. Um, you know, there's some data uh, points they're looking at, like graduation rates and dropout rates uh, that have definitely improved. But again, there's public debate about, um, you know, uh, how people feel about um, the sacrifices that have to be made in order to get those those numbers up. But um, but I don't have concrete okay. data at the moment. Okay, to we'll, feel let's, we'll, answer, we'll yeah. pick it up next time. Two other quick questions. The marijuana businesses, are there marijuana businesses opening in Holyoke and is it good for the city? It's been great for the city and it's not the magic wand that's going to save the city. It's just one piece to the puzzle, right? And so as far as excise tax revenue um, from the sales of marijuana, there's been a steady incline every single year um, of, in which we've collected in local receipts um, or in, ex in the excise tax. Uh, this year, we're projecting uh, 850,000. We've budgeted roughly 600 to 650,000. We budget conservatively um, in case we don't uh, collect it, but the data trends continue to climb and uh, it's been great. People from all over are visiting the city, um, you know, to these uh, local establishments. There's been jobs, uh, folks not only from Holyoke, but um, the greater region coming here to the city to work uh, because of these establishments. Um, so I, I, there's been nothing but benefits. Okay. One last question, and my apologies for the background noise. We have some guests on for the next segment who uh, don't seem to be able to mute. I'm sorry about that part. But we have one last question before we go, Mr. Mayor, which is you've just had in your city a four-day celebration that was just uh, an extraordinary community event. Tell us about that. Well, if my voice sounds funny right now, it's because uh, – you know, there was a lot of uh, cheering and, and a lot of uh, uh, speaking over loud music and singing and whatnot. But yeah, Fiesta Patronales, um, a committee organized in January, local leaders and business owners that really wanted to uh, celebrate pride um, in our community, particularly um, in the uh, Puerto Rican culture. And although Puerto Rican focus, it was a celebratory moment for everybody to enjoy. Um, uh, we had some big bands fly down from Puerto Rico uh, to play, very popular bands. And I got to say, we must have had 10,000 plus people in the Heritage Park area in, uh, enjoying this event. And so um, I'm very grateful for the success um, that has taken place. We, we had minimal, minimal issues. Uh, you know, the city departments, police, fire, DPW have been fantastic. Uh, Board of Health. Um, uh, and other departments have worked with this committee throughout the last six months to be sure that it was a, a success. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward for uh, next year's event, which I think is just going to add to the flavor of what the city of Holyoke has to offer here in the greater region. 
We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. This has been and is Mayor's Monday on WHMP. Can't wait to speak to you again next month. We're going to talk about the economic development and the great things that are happening in the city of Holyoke. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. Get in on the conversation. Call 413-586-7140. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The heat advisory remains in effect for Hampshire, Franklin, and Hamden counties until 8 p.m. tomorrow. The heat index will make it feel like it's around 100 degrees again today and tomorrow afternoon. Investigators are trying to determine what caused a fire at Lashway Lumber in Williamsburg early yesterday morning. Williamsburg firefighters responded to the scene just after 2 a.m., where they found a fully involved mill building. Additional fire crews from Northampton, Goshen, Chesterfield, and Conway responded to the scene, and Highland Ambulance provided medical coverage. An investigation is ongoing after a former employee of the VA Medical Center in Leeds was arrested last Thursday. Kevin Duvall of Royalston is charged with uploading and downloading child pornography through the facility's free public Wi-Fi. A detention hearing is set for tomorrow. More information is being revealed about a Plainfield police sergeant who was not reappointed last month. The Daily Hampshire Gazette reports that Sergeant Matthew Miazga was the subject of an internal investigation into allegations of racial bias and sexual harassment brought by one-town resident and other members of the department. The investigation into Miazga's conduct also contains allegations of the use of the N-word and a no-confidence petition signed by several of Miazga's co-workers. Miazga has denied the allegations, and his attorney says the allegations were fabricated by Chief Justin Litchfield. Miazga's wife has also made allegations that the chief made unwanted advances toward her and has filed a formal complaint. For today, sun and clouds, hot and humid, chance for an afternoon shower thunderstorm, highs 92 to 96. Tonight, chance for an evening shower storm, otherwise mostly cloudy, 72 to 76. And the outlook for Tuesday, partly sunny, hot and humid, chance for an afternoon shower thunderstorm, highs around 90. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El gobierno federal presentó cargos de derechos civiles el jueves contra cuatro policías de Louisville por la redada antidrogas que condujo a la muerte de Breonna Taylor, una mujer negra cuyo tiroteo fatal ayudó a impulsar las protestas por la justicia racial que sacudieron a la nación en 2020. Los cargos, la mayoría de los cuales se derivan de la orden judicial de drogas defectuosa utilizada para registrar la casa de Taylor, son un esfuerzo para responsabilizar a las fuerzas del orden público por el asesinato de la trabajadora médica de 26 años. Uno de los oficiales fue absuelto de cargos estatales a principios de este año. Breonna Taylor debería estar viva hoy, dijo el fiscal general Mary Garland al anunciar los cargos que incluyen conspiración ilícita, uso de la fuerza y obstrucción de la justicia. Los cargos nombraron a los exoficiales Joshua James y Brett Hankison, junto con los oficiales actuales Kelly Goodlett y el sargento Kyle Meany. La policía de Louisville dijo que busca despedir a Goodlett y Meany. Hankison fue el único oficial acusado el jueves que estuvo en la escena la noche del asesinato. Hankison, James James y Minnie tuvieron comparecencias iniciales el jueves en un tribunal federal. Los tres hombres enfrentan una sentencia máxima de cadena perpetua por los cargos de derechos civiles. Por su parte, activistas locales y miembros de la familia de Taylor celebraron los cargos y agradecieron a los funcionarios federales. 
En otras informaciones, el gobierno federal declaró una emergencia de salud pública el jueves para reforzar la respuesta al brote de viruela del mono que ha infectado a más de 6.600 estadounidenses. El anuncio liberará dinero y otros recursos para combatir el virus que puede causar fiebre, dolores corporales, escalofríos, fatiga y bultos parecidos a granos en muchas partes del cuerpo. Yo soy Johan Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Our regular segment, Black in the Valley, with our segment hosts, the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Crooks and Professor Carly Tartikoff, who have with them and us today some very special guests on a very important topic and an issue that keeps coming up in Amherst, the police and its treatment in particular of young black men. So let me turn the microphone over to the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Crooks. Jacqueline. 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 <laughs> Jacqueline, who is now frozen. It was, we were already there, but maybe we should get started. Uh, Jacqueline, hopefully, will be able to uh, reconnect. Um, uh, perhaps we could start with, uh, we have with us, Carly, you want to make the, the introduction? Sure. I can, I can try and do that. Okay. Um, okay, we have with us three important guests. Um, attorney Leon Smith, who's the founder and executive director of Citizens for Juvenile Experience Criminal Law and Justice Attorney, and now working in the field of public policy with a focus on juvenile and youth justice. We also have with us our, one of our newest uh, counselors in Amherst, uh, Alicia Walker. She ran on a ticket for equitable anti-racist uh, racism and a, a thriving town for all community members. Um, and then we have longtime contributor to Amherst community as a business owner and an activist for marginalized people, especially young people, uh, Pat, Aban, oh, I'm sorry, Aban. Ananbaku, I think. I, I usually could do it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pat. It's okay. I call her Miss Pat. So, so uh, anyway, these three people here, a, a recent incident occurred in Amherst last month that raised questions about what's going on in our town, and it relates to what's going on all over the nation. So, Pat, can we ask you to start the conversation by telling us what happened? Sure. So, on July 4th evening, a group of uh, Amherst teenagers, six BIPOC kids, youth, and three white kids, um, they gathered um, at one of the apartment complexes in Amherst, uh, off Main Street. And towards midnight of July 4th, uh, police officers showed up. They claimed that they got a call 
about a group of drunken teenagers. And um, the police started interrogating the kids and they told them that they didn't have any rights and they were detained. Some of the kids who wanted to call their parents, the police of the two police officers refused. And this went on to the early hours of July 5th. I, th I think it's important. Let me ask you this, Pat, if I might. Um, yeah. Uh, was there any indication that there had been any violation of any law? Did any, any of the young people done anything wrong? Was anyone arrested? Were there any charges? Was there any disturbance? I mean, because as I read it in the Gazette, the kids did nothing wrong. Exactly. Exactly. They didn't do anything wrong. Because I know most of the kids involved and their families, and I believe them, they weren't arrested. I think the police officers are the one who broke the law by denying the kids their rights. And I'm not an attorney, so I'll leave that to Attorney Leon to Well, to just to jump that. in, you know, and initially I came across this video in the same way that many people did on Facebook. And I was both in my career as a policy professional and in based upon my many years as a attorney for young people, I was appalled by what I saw. And to your question, the officers mentioned that it was a noise complaint. A noise complaint is a civil infraction. And it's important to note that in 2018, we had comprehensive criminal justice reform in Massachusetts. And one of the parts of that criminal justice reform was decriminalizing first time low level offenses and violation of local ordinances as it pertained to young people. So if you look at the Criminal Justice Reform Act, Section 72 and Sections 203, it basically decriminalized those types of low level and violation of local ordinances for a first offense or for even some misdemeanors for young people. So what we have here is a situation where it's a civil infraction for lack of a better term and yet these young people are being stopped and detained in a fashion as if they had committed some form of serious crime now building upon that even if they had committed some form of crime the officer stating and it, it can be heard clearly on the video you have no rights you're you're not over 18 is completely false any citizen, including a young person, certainly has Miranda rights and other rights in that situation. And I just found it very jarring that uh, a police officer, a municipal employee, is telling young people they don't have rights when, in fact, they certainly do. We, we have been listening to Leon, uh, uh, Leon uh, I'm sorry, Leon Smith. Attorney Leon Smith, who is the executive director of Citizens for Juvenile Justice, I believe, located in Boston. Uh, I think we should turn to Amherst Council Member Alicia Walker. Uh, what What do you think about all of this? What response uh, is the community making, and what response and what responsibility does the council have to address what has been seen widely uh, because because of the distribution? Uh, on social media. Help us understand what the community is doing. And the police officer is saying to uh, young, mostly uh, uh, young men of color, you have no rights. 
really. So, hmm. Councilwoman Walker? Yeah, so I think that a lot of the frustration that's coming out of the community right now is because of the lack of response um, to the incident, which, you know, I think things like this happen in Amherst, unfortunately, they happen everywhere. Um, and there has been groups and people advocating for changes for a very long time. And so while it's unfortunate, it is actually fortunate that that one of these youth was able to catch it on camera, uh, because I think that within the town leaders, there is sort of this denial that these things even occur. Um, and so I think that this was sort of a pivotal moment, the capturing of this video for town officials to see quite blatantly the things that are occurring in this town to the BIPOC youth. Um, unfortunately, it didn't solicit the response that I had hoped. We did have a council meeting recently where it came up as a topic um, and only myself and one other counselor actually spoke on it. Um, and so it is at the point where, you know, the town manager says it's under review. We have two new departments that were put in place this year, the Crest Department and the DEI Department, um, as a response to, you know, the local people asking and advocating for um, anti-racist policies to be put into place in the town. And so I think the town manager and the town council are waiting for those departments to respond, which I ultimately think is a big mistake um, because we're putting so much pressure on these very new departments and we kind of see them as we're going to dump all of our anti-racist is um, issues and policies on them and they will solve them. Um, and I think that situations like this deserve a more urgent, immediate response and accountability. And so what I think would be the best thing is that um, you know, for the town itself to take, to hold themselves accountable to these things and to the way that our policies affect the young people, especially the BIPOC people in our town. Um, and I think that's what we're missing here. And so, you know, we had a group of community members who Ms. Pat and I were a part of last year, the community safety working group who did research in the town and determined amongst many other recommendations that the town needs a resident oversight board for the PD. Um, so that, you know, people can file complaints and they don't have to go directly through the police chief himself. There can be sort of external monitoring of these things and that there would be a fair process in which community members can go through. And that has yet to be implemented, although it was um, recommended to the town almost over a year ago at this point. And so I think that this is the time to move forward on those recommendations um, and then to look for the town to really hold themselves accountable for these actions and how they affect our community. Are we still waiting, just to clarify this point, are we still waiting, is the community still waiting for the official response of the town? It's been weeks now. Uh, what are we waiting for? Um, so, so, oh, oh, sorry, what are you saying, Alicia? So the town manager did um, release a response. I'm honestly not quite sure how public it was. I know it was sent out to all of the town councilors via email. Um, I think it may have been posted at least an excerpt from it in uh, one of the Gazette articles, um, but it was sort of just a statement saying that they have seen the footage and that they are going to be reviewing it and that they have the DEI director and the Crest department who have been notified and that they will be reviewing the footage. So it wasn't really, I don't think it was a strong enough response. Well, one last question before we take, take a quick break. And let me go to uh, Pat. 
Anana Baku, uh, commu- okay. community so activist. It, it's, let me just ask you this. Um, this happened, exactly. as I think you told us, on July 4th. It's now August 8th. What, what's going on? Exactly. So if I may add to what Alicia had already described, I think that um, the town is used to covering up, disrespecting BIPOC community and marginalized folks. And uh, this is not the first time it's happened and there is no process for accountability. In fact, the only reason why the town manager even made any statement was due to CSWG, Community Working Safety Group. Uh, We had sent an email denouncing the the incident and demanding for accountability. We emailed it to the town council and included the town manager in that um, email, the police chief, and also the crest director. Okay. And um, I believe that's the reason why the town manager, you know, released a statement that fell so short. Um, he did not address accountability issue. We don't know what has happened to the police officers. Have they been fired or not? Are they on disciplinary action? Nothing. And the, the uh, police chief, uh, had five days to at least respond before he went on vacation. Up till today, we have not had any official accountability. What 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 the town has done um, in terms of the uh, um, police officers, and also how do we heal? Because without accountability, there's not going to be any healing in our community, and the town is just taking my community very um uh, not be respectful of us so let me go back in terms of um how all this came up about i help i am a community organizer so i was the one who helped organize different groups to to put this out in the media so we started off with standing to the town council i contacted the mass life um Springfield Republican, uh, the local Gazette, and also um, a newsletter by uh, MS Indeed. I made sure that this is out in the open. And so we had CSWG, we had my group, uh, a new political action group, uh, Progressive Coalition of, of MS. We put out a public statement. I I made sure that I, bring, I, I brought it up in a new committee that the town set up called uh, Community Safety. Pat, and uona, uh, Pat let, let me interrupt for a second. We got to take, yeah. squeeze in a break here. We're going to come okay. back. We're going to continue on the okay. other side. Thank we'll you. be right okay. back with this important sure. discussion. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Thank you. No. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. 
www.fruitstore.com. State Street Fruit Store. What the heck is a fruit store anyway? Well, State Street opened in Northampton in the 1920s as a fruit store, selling local fruit and other produce from the valley. And even though State Street has grown to be much more, deli, wines, spirits, they are still a fruit store. And right now, State Street and their sister store, Cooper's Corner in Florence, are buried in berries, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, schnozberries. Okay, they don't have any schnozberries, but they've got every other kind of local berry going. State Street, Fruit Store, and Cooper's Corner have always offered produce, picked by our Connecticut River Valley neighbors as soon as and as long as they're available. So come get fruit at a fruit store. Northampton has always been a fruity place. We are what we eat. State Street Fruit Store in Northampton and Cooper's Corner in even fruitier Florence. Do you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is our Black in the Valley segment. Let me turn the microphone over to our segment host, Professor Carly Tartikoff. Carly. Yes. We only have a minute, but we'd like to hear back from our special guests who are here talking about the incident that occurred in Amherst last month. And uh, I'm just going to shoot it over to Leon Smith. Leon, yeah, so Leon Smith, we should notice, the founder and executive director of Citizens for Juvenile Justice. Well, Attorney Smith. Executive director. We were actually founded back in 1994, so I, I can't claim that, but I'm a, a proud ED of the organization. We're an independent statewide nonprofit organization um, that looks to reform and reimagine the juvenile justice system. But one of my personal missions throughout my career as an attorney and at CFJJ is in making sure that young people as well as parents always know and understand their rights. This video really brought into focus why it's so important that we make sure that young people know and understand their rights when it comes to police encounters. Um, when you look at the work we do at CFJJ, yes, we do a lot of advocacy at the legislature, and yes, we do a lot of research and reports, but we also have a, entire community engagement program, community engagement and public education program where we inform parents and young people of what their legal rights are, not only with police, but in interactions with other systems. So if anyone is interested, you can find us at CFJJMA on social media or um, www.cfjj.org and you can reach out to us if there's anyone in the community interested in a know your rights type of training particularly young people we can do that okay let's move it over to alicia alicia uh, walker council uh, member last thoughts yeah so i just wanted to go based off of what leon was just saying in terms of making sure that the youth you know know their rights and i think that the second piece to that is 
ensuring that all, you know, town departments and staff and leaders and um, political figures respect those things as well all of the time. Um, and, and that we're honoring the young people in our town um, and allowing them to grow and be successful. And I think these things really impair that. Oh. Okay. We have one more minute. Pat? Okay, I'll be real quick. Um, I'm encouraging folks to please tune in to our town council meeting that is coming up on August 8th, actually August 15th at 6 p.m. Um, this incident is going to be on the agenda. I also is pushing for um, creation of victim compensation fund for anyone that has been um, mistreated by our police department. And the last thing is that we need healing in our community. And CSWG recommended to have Dr. Barbara Love start the process of visioning and healing work. Thank you. Well, thank you all for coming. And we'd like to hear from you again a little later on. So with that, we say goodbye. And thank you all for tuning into Black in the Valley. Thank you all, Alicia Walker, Pat Nanak Baku, and Attorney Leon Smith. Thank you all so very, very much. Yes. Thank you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the City of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on vaccine clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson & Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages five and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every the clinic for your local questions talk in the Valley and Booster for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock.